Welcome everyone to Four Guys in a Comic Podcast. We will be a weekly podcast discussing that which we all enjoy, comics. I would like to first welcome you and join us today, and for those of you that don't know the sultry sound of my voice, I am Red Skull, or Red for short. I've been enjoying comics since the 1970s, and to quote Emma Frost from the new X-Men, the whole world is watching us now. We must be nothing less than fabulous. My name is Mike. Most of you may know me as Nova. I have been loving and reading comics for longer than I can remember. I am a young Canadian, and I will be the DC and independent comics voice on this podcast. Hey guys, my name's Alex, a.k.a. Rusty Surfer, and I've been into heroes and villains since I was a child. I'm a college student of broadcasting and journalism. I hope to share my ideas with Marvel, DC, past and present while diving into the unfamiliar territory of indie comics. Hello, true believers. My name is David, a.k.a. Cadis. With the love of reading I've had since I was a kid, it's no surprise that I can't put comics down. From AOA to AOU, The Walking Dead, No More Mutants to No More Phoenix. I'll be the guy talking about events and how they affect comic universes we love. Okay, everybody. So we've, I'm sure you've been wondering what we'll be discussing on our first podcast. And four guys are going to bring to you Captain America Comics number one from Timely Comics from 1941. We're going to basically going to go through this cover to cover. We're going to start off with the cover. Famous cover here of Captain knocking out uh, Hitler. And as you know, it's from March 1941. What I find really interesting about this is, if you look at this, it's 10 months before the start of World War II um, with the U.S. Another thing I noticed is, um, of all the maps in the world, I mean, he hasn't taken over Europe yet. There's the USA map. And it's also interesting that um, you look at the, uh, the background of it, and I guess they wanted to make it look like it was... Uh, technologically the advanced is that you could see the TV that's on the wall and actually says television above it. You mean at the time then it was a fairly new thing. And I think it's cool that he kind of took in a, they took into account Nazi Germany at the time was way ahead technology wise. It's an interesting thing to see in the background of this cover. Look at Captain America's shield. Here we have triangular shaped shield with the three stars on it. I don't know if everybody realizes this or not, but this is the only issue where you'll ever see that. Come issue number two and everything since then, have the, the standard traditional circle or shield with the, the star in the middle of it that everybody knows and loves. So, you know, this first issue is the only time that you're going to see Cap with that, uh, the Son of Sentence Liberty shield that, uh, on the cover. Uh, I think that the next time you see that particular triangular shield, it's actually being wielded by... Uh, Isaiah Bradley, I think. I do believe that's true. Yes. Interesting. You know, um, I, I was looking at it, too, and I was sitting there, and I was kind of just like to myself thinking, why would it be in a different shape? And when I started, like, observing different things in the picture, um, there's a lot of swastika symbols in the background, and they're all in that circular, like in a round shape. And so they have the outline of a circle around it. And I was thinking maybe that they didn't want to compare the uh, symbol of America on the shield to the symbol of Nazi Germany in the background. They thought it might be too similar. Oh, absolutely. And I also think that, I mean, let's just talk physicality speaking of the, the, you know, the use of the shield. A shield of that shape is only going to be defensive. Now, Captain America is not just defensive character. He's also offensive. So a round shield makes sense because then you can do the things that he does with his shield throws and things like that. I was reading some backstory on that because I was, like, really curious about that. I, I need some information. 
And so I was doing some history on this, and it turns out, you know, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby actually sat down and they discussed this, and they realized, you know what, we need to give our hero more of a weapon. He can't always be using his fist. So they had a little roundtable and talked about it, and that's where they came up with the circular shield, you know, something where he can actually have a something to throw at everybody. Because he, as we go through the first issue, you know, he's beating up people, and there's times where he could throw that shield. But, you know, how can he with that, that shape? They talked it out, came up with that idea, and decided, you know, it needs to be like a bullseye and something in the center. And that, I guess, one of the things that they couldn't figure out, what to put in the center? I think, obviously, as you, we all know, it came out with to be the star which is just more of a target, if you think about it, for his uh, um, allies. Now, this issue, you know, it's 45 thrilling pages of Captain America, and they have it broken down to different um, cases within here. So basically, different short stories that very loosely tie in together. First case being Meet Captain America, which is basically nothing more than his backstory, how private Stephen Rogers became Captain America. Now, of course, a lot of that we've you know, if you don't know the story, a lot of that has been retold, you know, again and again. It's been in the movie. You know, I'm sure everybody here has seen the movie. <laughs> um, and it's not too different, really, um, with a few little few little things here and there. Yeah, they've also uh, changed things a bit as far as Marvel canon. And now they're saying that uh, the Weapon Plus program that, that was a joint effort between the U.S., and Canada actually used Captain America's Project Rebirth as their second run-through. Well, no, nobody should know that. He's Canadian. <laughs> um, can't confirm or deny. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So in here, in, in this first, you know, first story that we have, we have the introduction of uh, Stephen Rogers. Now, here he is, Private Stephen Rogers, gets the Infinity Formula, the Doctor gets killed, uh, as well as the last remaining formula um, is destroyed. And in here, you know, we see that he's turned into Captain America. But what is different from the Captain America that we know and love is that it's more of a secret identity. He is the superhero Captain America, but yet he's private Stephen Rogers. Exactly. Yes, which is which is interesting, but it brings up a lot of things, such as well, we'll get no, we'll just dive into that a little bit as we go in through here. You know, we'll, you'll start seeing uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about as we're talking as we're going through the pages. But I like you know towards the end here, he uh, picks up Bucky Barnes, little uh, regiment uh, army boy that's the mascot of the U.S. Army. Gosh, gee whiz, golly. Yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting. That that's one of the first things they did is revealed his identity to Bucky. It's not. I mean, usually these heroes start off, you know, solo, and then after a while they'll pick someone up. But um, they just went straight forward here. And and really, it's like in the last page, Bucky walks in on Private Stephen Rogers as he's changing a cap, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, my you're Captain America. I'm going to be your sidekick." Okay, Bucky, you're my sidekick. <laughs> You know, no, no, no question on training or anything like that. Just, You're my sidekick. Let's go. Suit up. Well, no, yeah, and, and let's be honest. Go. You know, it's not like it's not like he was trying to protect his secret identity. I mean, Bucky just simply walked into the tent. Uh, I noticed a lot of 
uh, I guess I was looking for Easter eggs, things that were different. So I noticed that uh, the agent, the female agent, was Agent X-13. Yeah. And yeah. it just so happens that later on, uh, Sharon Carter is Agent 13. I just thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure if, I think, was it Brubaker that introduced her, if that was a little nod to that? I don't know, but I just I just thought that was cool. I also thought it was interesting because they used the X term, and then you think of, like, the Project X program where it's, like, uh, X-23 and then the X-10, and, and it just goes through it. And it's like, well, why did she get the X-13 number in the first issue? Why the X at all? Well, to be to be fair, um, she has, or this is going off on a tangent, but uh, X-23 is X-23 because she is the 23rd attempt at recreating Weapon X, i.e. Right. Long story. But I did notice something in this particular case. They said, you know, very specifically, what, do you want us to pull a character out of a comic book like the Human Torch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what actually caused them to have to create the first Human Torch, the, the android. Well, it's weird because they're saying he's a comic book character, yet he exists in their world. How much longer after this comic did Human Torch come out? Or did Human Torch come out before Captain America? Before Captain America. But to be fair, the Fantastic Four and the Human Torch, uh, they were, you know, present day. And this right. is... Well, this is the Android one, right? Yeah, this is an Android. Well, the one they're referring to. Yeah, the one they're re- referring to is, is quote-unquote, the first Human Torch, which is the Android. Things get messy with Marvel, man. Holy cow. Uh, another thing I noticed was uh, the arrows pointing from panel to panel, which way to read? Something quite different. Kind of threw me off, actually. I'm, you know, you're you're familiar with the typical format of how you read an issue, but here it, it throws it a little bit different. They have arrows, you know, telling you which direction to go because they didn't have a format at that time. Yeah, I think they did that well into the '70s, just to kind of train the general public in the proper way to read comic books. I know that I remember that as a kid, reading old issues, you know, which way do I go? I don't know how to, oh, there's an arrow to tell me which panel to read next. So that mm-hmm. was helpful to me. So, you know, maybe they started doing that just to help everybody. I could see that, too, especially since, I guess, back then, comic books, I mean, they were semi, they're, I mean, they are pretty dang popular. But, I mean, not you don't have the same kind of uh, network. So I'm sure at that time there was a lot more new readers just picking it up, and then they're just having to get thrown right into it, whereas nowadays we're kind of spoiled. Even as you as a kid, you're like, you kind of have a general idea of it. But back then there was, it was a new thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, to, to, we mentioned the, the movie earlier or something to kind of draw the parallel uh, for those of you all who haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, you need to go watch it right now. But those of you who have seen it, you see that, that Bucky is, he's in the movie, of course, but he's Cap's age. He knows, you know, Cap from way back. But they, I, I think that, you know, since they're the definite time change, they're not going to have a little kid running around with the military. So that's kind of a, a indicative of how time has changed over the course of the years. Oh, agree completely. And I think also one of the things that, you know, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were also doing here is they wanted for kids of that age to identify. They can put themselves into that role of fuck. Well, see, yeah, that makes sense, too. I mean, you know, your your, your target audience is going to be kids, uh, you know, and especially impressionable youth, since, let's be honest, 
Captain America did originate as propaganda. So, you know, having impressionable kids saying, hey, you know, there's a kid who's fighting alongside Captain America in the army. Well, I'm almost joining age, you know, therefore, go ahead. Let's go ahead and dive into case two. So, um, basically, here we have a story of some Nazis that are supposedly able to predict the future, but what they're really doing is causing the crimes and letting the public think that they're predicting what's happening. Well, to continue on with what I was saying about, you know, Captain America being a lot of propaganda, this case seems to be, you know, chock full of it. I mean, they're they're painting, I mean, every Nazi character in here, just the artwork suggests that they are each individual monsters. I mean, look at how the faces are drawn. Look at how the bodies are drawn for each of these characters. You know, they're not... They're not what you, you know, what you would normally see in everyday people, of course. They want to paint them as bad guys. Mm-hmm. And the, the more monstrous they look, the more anti-Nazi sentiment it's going to breed, which is essentially, essentially what exactly this is supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, Omar is, uh, I guess, he's a dwarf with an extremely round head, yellow skin. And uh, the other guy, I, his name escapes me now. There's one panel where he's walking, and his shoulders are literally sharp-ended. They're drawn as sharp ends, and the way he's walking is just so unnatural and so wrong. Yeah, but it, then it, at the it, same it, time, it's yeah. how would they? I mean, how would they not notice? Hey, these guys must be Nazis. Look at the way they look. And another panel you're referring to, uh, the character Sando. It looks like a yeah. Frankenstein, basically. He, that's what he looks like. Yeah, pretty much. I kind of got the idea. He looked more like a goblin. <laughs> well, he doesn't look right, I guess. Is the... He doesn't. And then, of course, uh, you know, as we move on through the issue, and they're setting the stage for all of this stuff, boom, there's Captain America and Bucky in the audience. And, you know, they sneak around backstage, and, you know, they change into their, their costumes. You know, that, that, logistically speaking, that kind of bothers me because, you know, Captain America has his shield. Mm-hmm. Where? <laughs> yeah, it's not just the shield, the boots, the clothes, and everything that goes with it. You know, the hat. See, Where is the hat? see him walking, he doesn't have a, a duffel bag or anything with him. He just keeps it on under the clothes. Yeah. It's on his back. Yeah, he's got the shield strapped to his back under the coat, and he's got his clothes on already, and he just keeps that little mask in his pocket. Yeah, I wonder how he has the boots on, though, because they have the little... They're, they're folded at the top, so they would stick out. Right. Interesting. They're, they're, they're reversible army That's boots. That's what I was just going to say, they're reversible. <laughs> <laughs> so here we break into the next segment of the comic, uh, Captain America and the Soldier's Soup. Nice little story in there. Um, not very much uh, drawings, just two little panels. But it was an interesting read. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they they kind of broke away from the style of the panels and and they put it in a uh, I guess more of a narrative format where it's just paragraph by paragraph. When I saw it, I kind of thought that maybe they were experimenting a little bit, and then whenever they put it out, they'd find out which story maybe the readers may have liked the best and uh, the style that it went in. Obviously, the, the panels won it over. Uh, wouldn't it have been interesting if we just saw a uh, novel called Captain America instead of an actual comic book? You know, they they definitely have a lot of narrative license as far as 
you know, you read comics today, and it's like, meanwhile, in this place, doing this thing. But in this, it's like you're you're hearing all of the text that is, like, in Soldier Soup. But let's say last panel from the last one. Captain America <laughs> and Bucky disappeared into the night, leaving behind them a wrecked firing and a puzzled girl. I mean, you don't see that in comics today. You can definitely get a radio show type situation out of just this text-based story of Soldier's Soup. And of course, there is a little bit of artwork there, but that's just the very last sentence saying, you know, he could have sworn he had seen the soldier wink at Little Bucky. The only thing that I really took out of this was... um. Not only was Captain America's physical appearance enhanced, but everything else was as well. His senses were as well. Yeah, well, now, when you read this, it does read like a 1940s Captain America radio show. It really does. It just has that, those, those, the wordings and the story itself. You, you can, when you're reading it, you can actually kind of hear the people on the radio read this and talk about it and the sound effects that kind of go with it. One thing I just have to comment on, you know, at the end you have... And Captain America winks at Bucky while he's in formation. And it's just like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, now, now being a, a military tyree, I'm like, well, okay, first off, when you're in formation, you're not winking. And especially at a little boy. I mean, <laughs> come on. It's like, what is, the, what is everybody going to be thinking? Like, well, wait a minute. Why is he winking at that boy? I mean, first off, what is a little boy doing as the Army regiment? Why isn't he at school or something? Shake my head and ask all these questions. <laughs> What is going on? Yeah, and, that's, and, and these days it would be like Captain America winked at Little Bucky and then shortly was escorted away in handcuffs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so there again, it shows a difference between the 1940s to today. A huge difference in the last 74 years. You would not be winking at Little Boys in formation. <laughs> All right, so we're, from there it goes into case number three. Um, lots of interesting little things about this one that uh, I found interesting. Basically, my big thing was, you know, Captain America and Bucky have secret identities. Okay, so we have, you know, Private Steven Rogers as Captain America, then Bucky, who's also Bucky, which also doesn't make sense too much in that. But here we have the chameleon sent out to go capture Bucky as a trap to lure Captain America. And when the chameleon is sent out, he knew exactly where to go to find young Bucky. Not only that, but he, he he comes in and he says, like, I would like to talk with you. Like, you know, they give him, like, this German accent in the text. And Bucky just believes everything he says. There's just so many flaws with the that scene. I thought it was weird because you just see him say, hey, did he come through the window? I, I can't remember. Was it the window or a door? No, it was the tent entrance, I'm guessing. The whole, whole it was tent. A, regardless, if some strange man comes into my door and I'm like a little 12-year-old, 11-year-old kid, I'm not going to be like, okay, I'm just going to go with you, stranger. You might as well be driving up with a van that says free candy or something. Through <laughs> an entire... An entire American camp, right? And no one noticed this lug of a man, as they describe him, as he walked through probably tents and soldiers. Unless they're keeping Bucky on the outskirts, which is just wrong on a new level. Exactly. But that panel you're talking about, you know, where he's going into the tent, the panel right before it, it shows young Bucky sitting on his bunk reading a comic book. And what I just loved about it is here he's sitting there reading a comic, and all it says on the comic is... Marvel Comics, but yet Captain America. This this comic is wasn't Marvel Comics. 
that didn't come out until the 60s. It's timely comics. So here he's reading a Marvel comic book. I'm like, huh, okay. A little foreshadowing. Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, someone had it in their head that they were going to be making a future comic book company of their own, you know. Or any oh, chance that it was just inspired. Maybe they maybe they edited it uh, for the digital copy, but that's that's just I'm a not, wild guess. At. Well, actually, I'm not reading the digital copy. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, never mind then. <laughs> no, it's there. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I pulled it up. Uh, he, I, I wanted yeah, to pick up the comic a little bit. He dug it up. I, I noticed they pointed it out online, and I was like, oh, okay. And I had to go back and look for myself because I didn't notice it the first time. They, they, if they were to edit it for the digital version, it would say, like, Secret Wars 2015 or something. <laughs> By Jonathan Hickman. Someone who's not even alive yet. Maybe it's not the Marvel Comics Company, the Marvel superhero. It could be. It could be that, too. Um, I would like to mention, though, for, for those following along with the actual comic that we're reading, that, uh, you know, a couple of things that I noticed, once again, is the, the theme of the villains of the book looking like monsters again. I mean, yeah, that, that goes right along with the propaganda campaign that they're doing. But uh, let's let's talk of something really dark. Um, oh, I know. Go back to almost the beginning with the uh, the admiral. Look mm -hmm. at him. Guy's got a bullet hole in his head, and it's bleeding down his face. That it's is a little out. something. That is not something that the Marvel Comics Code Authority, or the, not Marvel, but the Comics Code Authority would have allowed to happen nowadays, or not even nowadays, but, you know, when comics started getting really, really popular back in the Silver 70s. Age. The Silver Age, precisely. Wouldn't happen then. But this is, I mean, this is just outright and start, I mean, these are kids reading these books, and this guy's been shot in the head. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's blatantly obvious. Well, it's not only that. Like, if you look on later on, he talks about, like, how they... He's like, if you find the kid, don't kill the kid. And he's talking about Bucky. And the guy mentions that. He's like, oh, I wish I could have had the pleasure of grabbing him and twisting his neck. And so we got kid killing, too. So it's not just a shot in the head. That's, well, that's a good way to scare people into the reality of the situation, too. At the time, of course. Yeah, and oh, yeah. But, you know, going again, you know, 74 years later, or uh, earlier, here we, you know, seeing this dark stuff, really, that, I, to me, this is a good example of why we got the Comic Code Authority, which is great, because, you know, as a parent, you know, I really wouldn't want my kids seeing some of this, especially way back then, you know, there would have been some mother somewhere that looked at that and threw this historic copy in the trash. I guarantee you that somewhere, somewhere, that had to happen at least. That poor kid lost a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> but uh, one of the other things, too, which I kind of thought was kind of humorous, though, is, you know, here is, you know, when the chameleon gets knocked out, laying on the ground, little Tweety birds flying around his head. <laughs> <laughs> like something out of uh, Looney yeah. Tunes, man. I tell you, first thing I think of is, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It just made me laugh out loud. I just thought that was just hilarious. Yeah. I wonder what uh what what gave everyone the idea to start using birds flying around your head. It's a odd concept. Uh, you know what I mean? No, it this is a comic book. It's standard. Yeah. In, it's standard in today. But who came up with that idea? Where did it originate from? Yeah. Why, why the birds? You no, know I'm making a note of that right now. I'm gonna find that. You know what? 
stars probably would have made more sense. I mean, you do that and get you knock your lights out, you see stars kind of thing. So stars flying yeah. around would be. But but I don't know where bird the bird idea came from. Uh, <laughs> moving along, a little bit later on in the issue, there there they go with with yet another dead officer. I mean, and and there's no question about it. You look at him; he looks dead. There's no no dressing it up, hiding him in the shadow or anything. He is a lifeless corpse staring out at the kids reading this book. And so then in the comic, then we goes um, from there into case four, the Red Skull. Uh-oh, this is your issue right here. <laughs> yeah, I was happy to say the least, you know, up, in, up until the, one of the last panels. But um, the great, the first appearance of the Red Skull. Wonderful story, really well done. But there's a few things in there that, you know, raise a few questions. For one being, for an example... Here it is the second time in the issue that um, Captain America told Buffy, I'll do it alone. You just stay here. And so if, if he keeps telling Buffy to do this, why have a sidekick? What does he need him for? Is he just he probably right? doesn't want to be responsible. I mean, uh, he's going to deal with someone that is a well-known villain. Obviously, they're all talking about this Red Skull guy. And so he knows that he's on. he's not a common criminal kind of thing. He's not just a common spy or anything. He's trained, and he knows that he is deadly. So he probably wouldn't want to bring along this little kid who, obviously, we were talking about earlier, didn't really have that much experience. He just saw uh, Steve and was like, hey, uh, you're going to be my sidekick now. So, I mean, yeah, this is probably an issue of, I don't think that you are quite ready for someone on this level yet. Well, well, i got to give Bucky some, some, some kudos. You know, he, he had the cojones to say, you know what, okay, fine. I'm going to go on my own and find him myself. Now, I had to give him some, some respect. He's like, Bucky didn't want, wasn't going to sit around reading some more Marvel comics. He was going to get out there and actually do some work, and, which he did. And, of course, as we all know, here he gets captured, and here he's at General Mano's house waiting to be rescued. Just my two cents. I don't think it's a matter of conscience for Cap considering... He just blows off people dying, uh, just saying, you know, oh, well, nothing we can do. Plus, let's let's talk logistics. You, you know, Cap is kind of saddled with Bucky because Bucky knows his secret identity. If something happens to Bucky, Cap will feel bad, but now nobody knows his secret identity. So here we have Bucky over at General Mano's house. We have Red Skull there deciding, okay, you know what, I'm... I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to keep you around so I can use you as a pawn to try to get to Captain America. When lo and behold, there's a knock on the door. And Red Skull's like, who's there? <laughs> and here comes Red, Captain America busting into the door. It's me, you sap. I'm a door before you bust it open. God, I love the golden age. <laughs> on this either that somehow Bucky, I mean... He just so happens to get captured by the right person and taken to the right place. And then Cap A is just like, boom, I know where you are. I'm going to get my guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I also wanted to point out, uh, you know, Bucky straight up got haymakered by one of the Nazi agents. So, you know, going along the lines of, of, you know, them saying they wanted to kill a kid and all this other stuff, you got a grown man punching a 13-year-old kid. You know, it does. It, it's kind of weird too because you see Bucky fighting back and beating up some of these people, and it's like, how much power does this little kid have compared to a grown man? In Bucky's defense, he's hitting them below the belt. The first hit. 
So he gets him there, they crouch down, socks him in the face. There you go. Two hit combo. Thirteen year old. Uh, what is it? Ultra combo. Yeah. The the <laughs> the <deadly strike. laughs> So yeah, and here you have this issue, which I find it you know here, you know, Captain America and uh, the Red Skull are slugging it out. Red Skull knocks out Captain America. Which says, Okay, yeah, yeah, you know, Red Skull's got some strength which nobody else in this issue has done. Only the Red Skull's been able to lay a good fist on Cap. And then, you know, of course, it comes around, and then the more fists being flung and more fighting being done, and eventually, you know, here we go. Captain America lands a good one on Red Skull, as, who is also, you know, a.k.a. Maxis. And Maxis falls to the ground and gets hit by his own hypodermic needles, and he dies. Here, he's dead. And Bucky's like, oh, no, what are we going to do, Cap? But you saw it all. You didn't stop him from killing himself. And there's Captain America. I'm not talking, Bucky. So, you know, we have the righteous Captain America that we all know and love. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything to kill himself or whatever. He's dead. I don't give a crap. (laughs) I would like to point out one of the panels here. I I like how they did this. Because it straight up looks like Captain America uppercutted Red Skull and his head exploded. Now, I understand. (laughs) Yes, head exploded. I mean, I understand where it says, oh, it was just a false face. But still, wouldn't there be a head somewhere on the panel? You would think. (laughs) Hey, come on. It's Red Skull, all right? Doesn't have his Infinity Cube yet, but he's one tough SOB. Returning to what uh, Red said, in terms of, uh, you know, Cap not caring. Uh, uh, from someone, this is someone who's read, I've read a lot of Golden Age, and that was a very, very big trend. Uh, you know, if someone fell to their death, or, you know, they got shot by some kind of gun or something, you know, they just brushed it off. It was no big deal. Like, oh, you know, whatever. He got what he deserved. Let's just, let's head out. Let's go home. And just to give our uh, fellow listeners here a little spoiler, he didn't really die. He was immune to his own hypodermic needle. <gasps> I went ahead and read uh, forward a, a few issues. So that well, with a head, a head as strong as he's got, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move to the next section. Hurricane. The son of Thor that nobody who reads comics these days knows anything about. Which is a big, big question mark. He's the son of Thor. You'd think, you'd think that would be, I don't know, mentioned once in a while. Now, a couple of the interesting things about about Hurricane is his powers. He's yeah. super strong, super fast, super durable. In fact, he's he's faster than super fast. They talk about later on in the comic how he moves at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Now that's a crazy fast amount of speed. That is very fast. Is that a compare? What what is that comparable to? I mean, it's not a flash. 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 The the fastest the flash could go ever. Which tells us that Timely wanted to kind of copy the flash without getting to copyright infringement. And he looks. I mean, let's be honest. At first glance, he looks like Hermes, which is what the flash was originally. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. And not only does he look like him, but in the beginning. He takes off his wings and throws them on a taxi cab to make the taxi go super fast at the speed of light. Which I just it was, love it was flying, too, right? Yes. 
Yeah, it was flying. Uh, he also did it to, it wasn't just inanimate, inanimate objects. He also did it to, uh, to Piggy later yeah. on in the, at, at the end of the issue. Now, again, you know, we were talking about Captain America and his, uh, his propensity just to walk away from somebody who died. In this issue of Hurricane, he straight up killed someone. Yeah. No questions asked. Just straight up, hands on, murders somebody. Well, if you go to the first panel of the first page, he's jumping over a desk that has a sign saying "Murder Limited." Mm hmm. I just picked that up, which is a so, bit weird. So he's limited to one murder per panel. Per, per yeah, <laughs> per, per panel per issue. Yeah, if you also notice on that desk is a revolver as well. Yes. That's a reoccurring theme. That, that's, a, gun. that's a big gun, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this was before comic book artists knew much about proportions, because, I mean, he's, he's very small compared to that. It looks like a pool table with no pockets. I mean, seriously. And is that his hat next to it? I mean, seriously, he's hiding under it. They just knew it was going to be a backup story, and they didn't care. Yeah, that's basically what it was. And unfortunately, no, the story wasn't all that bad, but what was really missing was it should have been the, an origin story, being the very first one. Because there's all these questions about him now, you know, the son of Thor, why is, you know, what, what's going on with him? What's his story? See, that's the thing. Whenever I started reading this, I totally thought that maybe there might be something beforehand. And then after I talked to y'all about it, I was like, why is there not? Yeah, there wasn't any kind of backstory. It's just like, here, here's a you know story we started in the middle. I was thinking maybe later on they would like Tarantino it or something, but they never did. Um, you know, let, let's also talk cultural stuff. I mean, do you notice the amount, just in this complete issue with all the previous cases and Captain America, how much everybody smokes in this? <laughs> everybody. Even Captain I mean, America has got his pipe. Yeah, Captain America smokes a pipe. You don't see that anymore. Now you got to think about it. It was a different time. They yeah. still thought there was health benefits, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you have people smoking in doctor's, doctor's offices. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I thought was funny in this issue is the idea of his wings, too. He puts them on the side of the cab, and all of a sudden, he's like, off. And it's like, why get in the cab even if you're just going to do that? <laughs> Good point. You know, Why? Unless and then he wears them on his head, and it's like, but his whole body goes, and it's like, oh. Because that would be a little odd if he had to, like, fly head first. His <laughs> head was what drug him along, like Thor's hammer drug him along. Like every superhero. Well, every superhero, if you look at them, the way they fly is not that, you know, their head is dragging them along and their body's just kind of flopping along. You know, they're, they're, they're acting like they're, they're center of gravity is the center of their torso and their... Oh, okay. So we'd have to see his neck stretching here. Yeah, exactly. But let's move on to the uh, masquerade. I mean, there's a lot of parallels here that they're making as far as even culturally. Um, you know, they're equating Pluto from Greek mythology. That's what that's weird. Is they, Pluto is Roman, I guess, uh, which is the, the Greek uh, equivalent of Hades, which they equate with Satan. But what I don't understand is Hurricane is supposed to be Thor's son, which Loki is the only real equivalent for Satan, Pluto, or Hades. 
it, it again goes through a lot of, hey, let's just throw this character in there because it sounds cool. Yeah, you got to think about it, too. Whenever you're using the devil in a story, it's basically like the ultimate evil. So when they were making this, I'm assuming that the guy was like, what is the baddest person I can possibly think of? Oh, let's go biblical. We're going to use the devil. Yeah, and continuing the biblical theme, the costume that Hurricane chooses for this party is that of a white robe and giant white angel wings. And then shortly thereafter, he, he, he's in this costume for all of like 10 seconds until Pluto automatically knows who he is. Oh, no. And then shortly thereafter, we're talking maybe like four panels after he straight up kills, you know, the, the, the little minion guy. Just, I mean, we're talking like sprays of blood and everything. So there's no problem. What was his name? Pepperoni? <laughs> no, that was the guy that he attached wings to and flung them into the, the cop's office. That's all kinds of brutalness in this. Well, that also brings us to the final story that we have in uh, this comic, and that's Tuck Cayboy in Stories from the Dark Ages. To be honest, I really wasn't that excited about this story, to tell you the truth, you know, especially after reading all the Cap stuff. It just, uh, I guess it was, you know, for me, nothing too exciting or special. Uh, here we have, you know, nothing more than a story geared for young boys, where the main character is a kid, and in the end he gets a sidekick that's an adult which is, you know, a little bit different than what we're used to. Yeah, true enough. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out is this is the first historical reference to Atalan, which if you are caught up with comics, you know that's the home of the Inhumans, like Medusa, Black Bolt, all them. It's also interesting, I noticed, in one of the uh, panels where it says his roars were like thunderclaps. So they're making Hulk references, too before Hulk even exists. Yeah, and Avengers references, because they say, in, and then we're talking the first page, but the boy didn't realize that Tuck meant Avenger. So they're, they're making a lot of groundwork that is later pulled on uh, for other things in Marvel. But um, I agree with you on this one. Whenever I came up to uh, start reading this, I was really not looking forward to it. From the cover itself, it kind of reminded me of like a, Conan kind of vibe, and that was another thing I never really got into. I have a history question. When did the phrase saving the best for last uh, come into play? Because this definitely... Sometime after this. (laughs) Directly after. Directly after in the next issue. Well, speaking of which, Red, you've read further ahead. Do they continue with Tuck? Is that a recurring... Yes, it is a recurring storyline. You know know who Tuck makes me think of immediately? You know, reading Tuck from the 40s and then reading, you know, newer stuff. Tuck actually reminds me of Kazar from... That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's a good point. Um, I also feel like the woman in red, her appearance reminds me a lot of the Scarlet Witch. That is very true as well. And the fact that, you know, she was like... She seemingly came out of just about... You know, she came off the boat, right? But yeah, definitely with the headdress and the the stark red color, definitely a a good uh, amalgam of that. Well, that wraps our podcast for today. Now I'd like to thank everyone for joining us. Be sure to check out our Facebook site with daily comic book reviews. And while you are there, please don't forget to give our page a like. We can also be found on Twitter and Tumblr at 4GuysInTheComment, where you can post your comments. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Each week, we'll bring you something new and exciting. 
We already have a nice line of accomplic artists and writers that will be joining us for here for interviews. Till then, Excelsior! Excelsior.